1: Well, hello, Seattle. Happy birthday, Peter Sound. It's actually my birthday. And I'm Christopher Chan, your host of Happy Hour Radio. Thanks for spending Saturday night right here on 570 KVI. Where we talk about the best in wine, beer, cider, spirits, food, cocktails, events, and education from all around the world. And I've got uh, a very worldly gentleman on the line. And he's uh, representing um, a very fine uh, distillery out of Scotland. And Scotland is uh, a big piece of uh, rock there out in the the water, the North Atlantic, but also has a couple islands. And today we're going to chat about uh, Highland Park. And uh, I have the pleasure of having the brand ambassador, Martin Mark Vardson, who is actually on the phone. And he's calling from 9000 feet above in the air at uh, in Denver. Hey Martin, welcome to Happy Hour.
2: Well, hi. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, pleasure to be there. <laughs> exactly.
1: Be there. Yeah. Reach out and touch someone. That's, that's how we like to operate. And, uh, yeah. uh I'm a big Scotch fan and tis this season with this, uh, especially in Seattle. I'm sure Denver, uh, cold and it's getting a little lighter, but it's cold and wet. And there's nothing that warms your heart like a, a nice dram of something, perhaps. And I would say let's talk about, uh, Highland Park. So you are the brand ambassador for Highland Park, Martin, Mark Vartsen, but
2: you're also. Yes.
1: A real Viking, is that right?
2: Yeah, that's true. I'm from a Viking family, living in Denmark. I was born and bred in Denmark, and um, when I was 19, I got the interest for Scotch whiskey and wanted to know everything about it, so what better place to move than to move to Scotland. And now um, I'm working for a distillery that was actually made by Viking descendants, so, so I, I would say I, I feel very much at home, uh, being the the global brand ambassador for Highland Park and travel around spreading the gospel about how great our brand is. Well, that's um, so it, it's fantastic.
1: That's really exciting, and I'm curious. You know, as a sommelier, we have uh, we have all this fun savoring champagne. Now, you being a Viking, I imagine you have a giant hammer like Thor. Is that right? Sorry, one more time. <laughs> you have a giant hammer, like Thor. I think. Do you? Is that how you yeah, open those yeah, yeah. bottles. I, I, chip I, them
2: off. I have a big red hair and uh, a helmet with horns and a hammer, which I uh, knock down in all people that don't like Highland Park. That's that's the true me. no, no in fact, I'm actually I'm actually bald. Uh, lots of tattoos. I don't have my hammer. Uh, I used to be a boxer, so I don't need a hammer if if, if oh. something comes into trouble. So so I'll probably do fine without.
1: Okay, well, uh, just uh, painting the picture for our listening audience today. Well, let's talk about scotch in general. Scotch is a whiskey, and that uh, scotch was actually, the the name whiskey was Gaelic from Ooskabay, and uh, tell me about what you know about scotch whiskey.
2: Well, scotch whiskey um, was made the first time in 1494, um, long before the Irish actually uh, started producing whiskey, even though we do think that it was the... Irish monks that came up with the recipe. It was still the the Scottish that uh, took the credit um, for it by uh, a, a, a friar, John Corr, that made it the first time in 1494. So the first written evidence of whiskey making is, is that long ago. Wow. And then during the years, I would say that, uh, uh, you know, Scotch whiskey or single malt in general has been perfected by um, by, by by the Scotch. And today um, we have just around 130 distilleries producing whiskey in Scotland, and um, of those, Highland Park is the northernmost, as we're based up on uh, on the Orkney Islands, uh, just in between the North Sea and the Atlantic Ocean, and where the Gulf Stream comes up and ends it stays more or less. So, so out of the um, the 130 distilleries in Scotland, we are the northernmost.
1: How how big is the island of Orkney? Just uh, give me some sort of uh, comparison, if you could
2: yeah well first of all um, the islands of Orkney is not one island it's, it's it's actually a group of islands where you'll find just around 70 islands and of these 70 islands only 17 of these islands have people living on them and in total there are about 21,000 people living on Orkney the capital if you might say so on Orkney is a, is a, is a city called Kirkwall and Kirkwall is the home of about 6,500 people so that's that's kind of the, the the size of it and then the rest of the uh, of the uh, people living there are living on these small islands around uh, around Orkney uh, so so 70 islands 17 of them will be uh, inhabited and um, we've been making whiskey there since 1798 probably a little longer before that but that's the first written evidence the first uh, document of uh, of whiskey making from Highland park series. so uh, 1798 is uh, is where we are from. And that makes us the sixth oldest distilleries in, in Scotland. Uh, so uh, quite old traditional distillery um, we have up there.
1: That's really cool. Uh, 1798. So I'm curious, were they growing uh, barley on uh, the isles there, out there in the some of the seventy, or did they have to haul some grain from the mainland?
2: Well, it's a good question. But when, when we look back in time, uh, In 1798, we reckon that our founder, Magnus Johnson, would probably have been producing in the years of 500 to probably about 800 liters a year. So he didn't need uh, a lot of barley compared to what we're using today, where we're producing just under 2 million liters. So he would probably have been using the local barley. And the production at that time was a little bit different, Uh, using only one still, producing the same still didn't really care about how much alcohol you got out of per ton of malted barley and these kind of things. So it it, it was it was a bit uh, different uh, back in these days. So he couldn't use the local barley we had up there. Today, because of the amount we're producing, we can't uh, use the local barley all year. So we will get barley from the rest of mainland Scotland or England or as far away as New Zealand uh, is where we get the barley in. So, so as long as the quality is right and we get the yield we, we, we're looking for every year. And, of course, Uh, most important the flavor we're looking for so so times have changed production have gone up since 1798 and we uh, can't get the amount of barley we want from the island simply because barley can't really grow there uh, in the amount we want due to the wind and the climate we have there which is very different from the rest of scotland
1: all right i'm sure you might have some salty barley if we're growing out there um curious You know, when when we think of Scotland, we think about uh, the term glen, and uh, whether it's Glenlivet or, or Glen Moringy or, you know, the, the hosts of the different glens, I always thought that it was important for a distillery in Scotland to have a great source of water. Does Highland Park have one of those?
2: Yes, we do. Um, when Magnus Mishunson, our founder, he uh, he founded his distillery on uh, an, uh, kind of a, a, a hill outside Kirkwood called High Park, he was first of all looking for um good source of water, and he used a beautiful spring called Kadimaki Spring. Later, um, we uh, didn't get water enough from that, so we're using something called granite spring. So the water is local water from springs on Orkney that gives us water enough for our annual production of of the 2 million liters. So we are using local water, local local springs from, uh, from, uh, from Orkney.
1: Well, I know that uh, I had the pleasure of, of hosting a few expressions here of Highland Park. Um, why don't you tell me the whole lineup of Highland Park uh, Scotch whiskies that uh, are produced there on the island of Orkney?
2: Oh, we have quite a few. Um, we have our own uh, range for travel retail, which is is something called the Warrior uh, range, where we talk about. Um, we, we like to tell stories when we create whiskies as well. So, if you look at what we have for travel retail, it's it's names like Sven Einar. Sigurd, Haral, and so on, um, which tells the story about old Viking warriors. For our range, which you'll find um, in shops around America, we first of all have a whiskey called Magnus to celebrate uh, our founder, founder uh, Magnus Janssen. And we have a 12-year-old, which is amazing, an 18-year-old, 25-year-old, um, and 30 and 40, and even a 50. It's a, it's a core range. And then we make special editions now and again where you will find names like Valkyrie tells a story about the spirits of the angels that would choose who should live or die on the battlefield. We have something called the dark, which is uh, just to, about to be rolled out um, throughout America. Um, so, so we have a lot of different expressions coming out, but our core range is, 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 for America is about Magnus 12, 18, 25, 30, and 40. And if people are willing to to pay and, and, and get something special. Then we have the 50, and we have something called the Ocadian Ventures, which is vintagely a year from 1968, 1970, 1971, and 1976. So special years where we found some very, very um, interesting and uh, different matured casks uh, that could create a special whiskey for us.
1: All right. Well, you've got my uh, my my palate salivating here for a couple of sips. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the Magnus, the Highland Park 18-year-old, and the Dark. Um, let's talk about yeah. the Magnus. This is named after the founder. What's yeah. What sort of uh, nuances and uh, flavors am I supposed to find in this particular expression?
2: Well, first of all, Magnus was uh, was made only for America and Canada, so for North America and Canada. Uh, so it's a special edition only for, 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 for this region of the world. Um, and to to celebrate um, the link between our distillery, Magnus Jurenton, and uh, America, this, ma- this particular whiskey here is matured only in American oak, um, American oak that used for sherry and bourbon. And um, what you will find here is, first of all, a lot of vanilla. You'll find a lot of citrus flavors, um, very elegant. You find at the end a little bit of uh, honey floral flavor that comes from a peat. And then at the very finish of the whiskey, you'll find a beautiful, gentle smoke that comes out.
1: Uh, I just took and, a sip. Very delicious. You're right. It's very complex. It's got layers. Yeah, it, it, it,
2: it comes in waves. It comes in different layers. Uh, it's, it's, it's only 40%. But there's uh, there's an explosion of flavors coming out. It's, it's absolutely amazing, um, and uh, it's a very very good entry point for uh, for people who want to say hello to the single malt world, the Scott single malt world. And it's a very good introduction to what Highland Park is all about because it still carries our so called DNA, where you find the beautiful floral honey smoke at the end. This is something we always go for some sweetness and this the uh, the this, this smoky. Edge to it at the end, which is not to be associated with um, with whiskies from Islay or other of the Western Isles, because the peat we're using on Orkney is very different uh, and would not be able to give the same flavors as Islay whiskies like Lafroy, Lagabouline, Artbeck, which are all beautiful whiskies but very different from what we create on Island Park.
1: Uh, well, it's definitely delicious, and it does linger, and I do believe it is a, a very good entry-level Scotch for people to actually uh, find the pleasures of the whiskey, but also to uh, be more enticed by learning, uh, getting more complex with something like the 18-year-old. Tell me about this one.
2: Well, the 18-year-old is one of the most award-winning whiskies in the Scotch whiskey history. Um, it's also the only uh, spirit ever to win the best spirit in the world award two times. Uh, so here we're talking about whiskey that is very, very elegant, it's complex, it's it's, uh, it's balanced. That's three of the things we uh, we always go for. This whiskey here has been matured in European oak sherry cask, so uh, wood that is sourced from north part of Spain, made into casks, and then had sherry in it to, uh, up to two, sometimes even four years. Before we take it back to Scotland, leave the sherry in Spain, take it up to, to Highland Park, fill it with a new mix build, and leave it in our warehouse for at least 18 years. This creates a lot of sweetness again, but it also creates some dry fruity flavors where you'll find apricots, you'll find orange peel, you'll find a bit of nuttiness coming out here, just a touch of coconut comes out. You'll even find a hint of cinnamon, and at the very end, the sweetness turns into a bit of marzipan, and then... After that, you'll find beautiful notes of of the smokiness again, and I can't say it enough, but it's this honey floral smoke you'll find from Highland Park, which is what we're known for.
1: This is a a very delicious and uh, intriguing whiskey. um, It it kind of lingers, and it's kind of a cyclone. It keeps going around my palate, even though I've swallowed it, and it lingers. It's got a long length of about 30, 40, 50 seconds.
2: This, this this, This is a whiskey with a really long finish, and um, even after, you know, you, you, you think it's gone, it will come back in waves. Um, I often tell people when I'm out doing the, the tasting, you know, when you when you think it's gone, you will, after a few seconds, get what I call the hallelujah moment. And the hallelujah <laughs> moment here is actually where it lingers, it waters the side of your mouth again. And um, what, what what you finished up with first was this beautiful, Hillary honey smoke, and now it's just becomes a sweetness. So it's a sweet kind of lingering that comes out at the end, which is absolutely stunning for, 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 for our 18 year old. It's a bottle of 43%. So um, so again, not a high alcohol volume, but a beautiful set whiskey. All right. It just gives you Hey, a Martin, lot of hold that
1: thought. We're going to come back. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come back and taste Highland Park The Dark Expression with brand ambassador Martin Mark Vartsen right here on Happy Hour Radio.
0: Big names, big news. Sean Hannity. Listen and be part of history. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan.
1: All right, welcome back. Time for round two. And if you're listening, you will make history or listen to history as it unfolds. I've got uh, a very historic property on the phone and the brand ambassador for said property is Highland Park. His name is Martin Mark Vartson and he's an actual Viking and he doesn't have, carry a big hammer or have the long, flowing mane. He does have uh, the power to seduce a palate with beautiful expressions of this single malt whiskey. Um, Martin, we were just talking about the Magnus, named after the founder, which is a 12-year-old, I believe you said, right? Is that 12-year-old?
2: No, no, this is a non-aged. The Magnus is a non-aged. I see, okay. But, um, but we are using whiskey that's over 12 years as well.
1: Yeah, because it's very smooth. Second second whiskey was the Highland Park 18-year-old. Now, this, yeah. to me, seems to be, um, I want to use the term, cone. Because it has a, such a depth of expression, and to me, that's what reminds me of a refinement. But there's also just this real palate-pleasing um, experience. final whiskey is called the Dark. Now, this is a brand new whiskey, and I'm honored to be ha- to be tasting it here on air. Yeah. Tell me about the Dark.
2: Well, the Dark is is um, is made. There'll be there'll be two expression coming out: the Dark and later the Light uh, later this year. And it actually celebrates the uh, the longest day and the shortest day. And the dark, of course, we're talking about the shortest day, and all which is very, very important. We have uh, the Winter Solstice, where it was celebrated by the, the the Vikings, where they knew when Winter Solstice came, the shortest day. The next day would be longer, and that's where they started preparing for the raids around the world, uh, the Viking raids that we have all <laughs> <The> been, <raids. laughs> been, been reading about. The whiskey itself here, uh, again, matured in European oak sherry cask, uh, predominantly first, fill. It's bottled at 52.9% alcohol. It's 17 years old, and we only made 28,000 bottles. And this is an explosion of flavors. You know, you, 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 you take the first sip, and a lot of action is going on. Uh, again, lots of dry fruit, like raisins. You find a bit of uh, the Scottish Christmas cake that comes out and then it changes a little bit into the, a bit more winery and then suddenly you get an explosion again. This will be dark chocolate. This will be marzipan. You'll find some martiness again and then it rounds up by this beautiful uh, smokiness again that uh, that Highland Park always will, will carry through as our DNA. Um, the whiskey here is is, is a one-off. Uh, when, when this is gone, it will be gone. Um, and as I said, later the light will be coming out Same alcohol strength, 17-year-old as well, 28,000 bottles, but they'll be matured in American oak refill cask, and which will be smaller as well, so as different as it possibly can be from the dog. So you have the chance to taste two whiskey supplies side by side to see what the cask can do after 17 years so a beautiful expression from Hyden Park which tells the story as well as we always like to do
1: and when can we expect to find this uh these beautiful expressions the dark and the light on the shelves here in Washington
2: well the the the, the dark is already on the way out on the shelves in America the light will probably start to be to be seen on the shelves about june july in america uh, so um so beautiful and and you know if you have one, you need to have the other just to see the difference, and it's uh, it's it's amazing. So uh, so just tell us a little bit about what we can do at Highland Park and what we're known for.
1: So fun, very exciting. What's a website people can find more information for Highland Park whiskey?
2: Well, it's called highlandparkwhiskey.com. dot com. How about that? And this is also where they can sign up to a friendship club in the circle. Uh, where they can see all the news they can be going there and follow me around the world, which is very, very exciting. Uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, this is where they can be offered special bottlings for Highland Park as well.
1: Nice. So, um, beautiful. Highland, com. Martin, Mark Vartzen, the uh, Global Brand Ambassador. Wow, thank you for sharing the story and some great whiskeys with me here on Happy Hour Radio.
2: Well, thank you for allowing me to be part of it. Thank yeah, you.
1: so fun. Hope to see you in Seattle sometime. Uh, cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. All right, hey folks. Um, that was uh, really tasty. i still lingers in my mouth, and maybe it's a little too. It's you know, it's hard to start with scotch for a pair of teas. Maybe I just need to transition to wine. And I've got two cool cats in the studio today. Uh, first is Kevin Cedargreen with Cedar Green Cellars out of Kirkland, and uh, also Guy Tierney, who is a grower and has been in the business for over a decade. He has a cool tasting room in Kirkland called uh melody the melody lynn tasting room or vineyard uh we'll figure it out but um kevin and guy welcome to happy hour
3: good to be here chris Thanks, Chris. Good to be here.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, happy Saturday night to you both, and I uh, uh, hope you learned something from about the Isles of Orkney and uh, some Highland Park Scotch. Good stuff. I know that uh, you were you were sniffing the glasses, but you can go take a sip if you want. <laughs> so we're past that. Um, so Cedar Green Cellars, uh Kevin Cedar Green, you are the founder. This is what your thirteenth vintage? I forget now.
4: Yeah, 2002 was our first, so we're, uh, we're starting to get up there. 15
1: vintage then, yeah. Yeah. Cool, 17, huh? Wow, and so you've mastered the art then, right? You figured it all out?
4: The more you do it, the more you know you don't know. So <laughs> it's, uh, that's the beauty of uh, winemaking. It keeps you on your toes.
1: Well, um, it's cool, to, refreshing to see that you've uh, planted roots, so to speak, there in Kirkland, because I know Woodinville was quite an attraction. And you being in the business this long, weren't you making wine in Woodinville for a while? Then
4: you, you got a tasting in Kirkland, is that right? No, I was making my wine over in eastern Washington until about three years ago, working for other wineries and using their facilities for my production. And then we bought some property in Chelan, and we were kind of bouncing back between Kirkland and Chelan. And then I f- was making wine kind of as an interim in Woodenville, and really started enjoying that. Uh, that commute was uh, a lot more uh, palatable than the three-hour drive to eastern Washington. So I think we're going to settle in there, maybe do a tasting room later in Chelan. But right now we're yeah. we're liking the, uh, the kirkland Woodenville commute.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that uh it's obviously a path that we all know and very familiar with. And uh, Woodenville's open like I mean, there's a tasting room open every day, I think. And it does they're not all open every day, but there's always a glass of wine to be had in Woodenville. And tell me about this
4: Kirkland tasting room you have. Well, this. Uh Actually, this uh, guy has been nice enough to give me some space to come in and do a release party in Kirkland at his, uh, that's the Melody Lynn Vineyard Tasting Room. All right. Now oh, I got it. I and that's see. The, that's the tie-in there, but uh, we're looking at, uh, at develop- developing some space of our own out in Woodinville here in the next year.
1: Okay, cool. Well, it's always nice to have friends, and Guy, you're one of the friends of the vine. Uh, tell us how you guys started growing
3: grapes. Gosh, back in about 2008 when the economy was soft, um, Melody and I had decided that we wanted some ag property. So, like Kevin, we were looking in Chelan, and we are looking in Central Oregon, and I had uh, lived in Santa Rosa, went to grad school at Sonoma State. So I had quite a bit of experience in the North Bay. Um, I sold equipment in Napa, Marin Lake, Mendocino, and Sonoma counties construction ag equipment. So I had a pretty good idea what I was looking for in terms of temperature and soil types. Found five acres in Yakima Canyon between Ellensburg and Yakima, and it was just insanely pretty, lots of water, you know, Department of Ecology was is good to us. So uh, we pulled the trigger, and now we have almost 30 acres.
1: Interesting. So I have not visited that, but you were telling me off-air that there was a special road or a road that we can go see this beautifully scenic country of yeah, ours? Yeah.
3: A lot of people fish the Yakima River between Ellensburg and Yakima. It's a blue-ribbon trout I've stream. I've seen
1: a cat walk out with a red uh, sockeye salmon one it's, point crossing the street, like, wow, look at that.
3: It's pretty insane, really. And there's not a lot of development through there. In fact, usually... The Bureau of Land Management owns most of the property through that region, and so uh, we kind of have it all to ourselves. It's insanely pretty, beautiful trip down through. Um, there's the bighorn sheep and certainly a few elk, and, you know, there's lots of things to see besides the fish, but really pretty drive.
1: And how many grape varieties are you planted? With? I grow four. four. I have Cab
3: Franc, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, and Pinot Noir. Oh, really? Uh
1: So maybe those Cab Franc and Sauvignon Blanc will get together and make a baby. You know, you never know. (laughs) (laughs) A little Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, Well, cool. Well, welcome to the show. Pretty exciting. So you have this tasting room where um, it's a big, big party coming up, right? It's February 25th. That's a Sunday. It's from 2.30 to 4.30, and then they have a second session, 5 to 7. So basically, it's an extended happy hour, but you can buy a ticket, and tell me what happens when you buy a ticket to the February 25th release party for Cedar Green Cellars.
4: Well, we are going to have you come on in. We'll have five uh, newly released wines, and uh, we'll have uh, David Leck, who's an oyster shucker with uh, Taylor Shellfish um, product, and so we'll be shucking oysters. We'll have uh, plates of charcuterie and cheese and uh, roving... uh, Accordion player, and we'll be transported to the banks of the Seine, and uh, drinking uh, insane wine, and uh, eating uh-huh. some great oysters.
1: Oh well, that's so fun. And uh, um, you know, I was thinking you're going to say raving. <laughs> People <are laughs> raving around, Ooh, lights and black lights, and you know what else is going on. So you have some new releases. This is being your 17th or 15th vintage. So what are you releasing?
4: I'll be releasing a uh, 2016 um, Chenin Blanc, a 2015 Gamay Noir. And then the uh, the 2010 Cabernet Sauvignon and a 2010 uh, Merlot, and then we're just bottling a our um, Viola Rosé, which is a co-fermented Gamay Noir Cab Franc from. Uh, from Guy's Vineyard, <laughs> and uh, we're going to be sneaking that oh, in into the tasting also.
1: So fun. And
4: um, what's interesting, too, because you make a Sauvignon Blanc, don't you? Correct, and I'll have that at the event just because it goes with oysters that's so well. That's what I was
1: going to say. I said, hey, you know, you've got a wine that's uh, been associated with... Uh, mollusks and bivalves for such a long time. Uh, Guy, how does it feel to have um, some of your grapes be harvested and then
3: made into really delicious wine? It's a wonderful feeling, to be honest. You know, when you kind of like a parent, when you grow them and you take them to a certain point and then you let them go and they come back to you. It's kind of interesting to see what happens to them when they come back. Kevin does a wonderful job. It's a, it's a great ex- experience for us, for Melody and I.
1: I bet. And so you, you what was the first vintage you sold? Was that 2011?
3: Yeah, two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. Okay,
1: yeah. wow, mm-hmm. that's the way to get into it. Now huh? you went mm-hmm. from two thousand eight to two thousand eleven because you go oh nine, wow, mm-hmm. this is great. I'm in business. <laughs> Look at my plants. They're going. Then all of a sudden ten, I'm like oh my goodness, and eleven. Uh, so you had to you have um, obviously kept all your hair, <laughs> so you couldn't have been that stressed. Although it is. That's shiny silver. Ah. (laughs) Um, I like it. So we're going to chat more. Um, uh, We're going to talk about the great February 25th Cedar Green uh, Green Cellars release party over at Melody Lynn Tasting. Melody, what's the name of it? The Melody Lynn Vineyard Tasting Room and Wine Bar. Okay, it's in Kirkland, folks. Hey, stick around. We have a couple more segments with two cool cats right here on Happy Hour Radio.
0: Unapologetically American. Period. Kirby Wilbur. Weekdays 10 to noon. Talk radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. And you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle somalia Christopher Chan.
1: No, that's right. You're getting funky, chunky here in the radio studio. I've got, uh, well, we're not all that chunky. We've got some delicious wines to taste. Uh, I've got Kevin Cedar Green of Cedar Green Cellars and Guy Tierney, who is with the Melody Lynn Vineyard and Tasting Bar in uh, Kirkland. Uh, we're, we're here today talking about the big release party over there. It's February 25th at uh, the Melody Lynn Vineyard and Tasting Bar in Kirkland. Uh, you have five expressions you're going to release. And Kevin Cedar Green, you brought two for me to taste. What do you have?
4: I've got a, a rosé. That's a blend of uh, co-fermented Gamay Noir and Cab Franc. Great uh, strawberry raspberry combination, and um, that com- that combination. And then there's got some nice floral notes to it, and uh, it's it's soft. It's got great acidity, mouth filling. And I'm really enjoying that this year.
1: I'm just taking a sip of it, and I I commend you. You know, you you figured out mouthfeel, you figured out natural acidity. Um, The color is this beautiful patina. It's just a very, very light, which gives us that Provence style. Although Gamay and Cabernet Franc. Very interesting. Two distinct regions, whether you're in the south of France or in Bordeaux, or in the Loire Valley for Cab Franc, but uh, Gamay Noir, obviously a Beaujolais grape. Um, And so you're growing Gamay Noir, and that's uh, Where did you get that rootstock?
4: I actually have Cab Oh wait, where did you grow Gamay Noir from? Uh, The Gamay Noir comes off of Willard, off of uh, Skyline
1: Vineyard. Sorry, That's right. You're Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and uh, And Cab Franc, Franc and uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. Um, Delicious wine. How long did you leave this on the skins?
4: That was only on the skins about six and a half hours, so it's pretty pretty quick on the skins. And like I said, we um, we we co fermented the two the two juices together, and um, you it, know, I didn't think at originally I wasn't uh, certain about the combination of the two grapes, but they taste wonderful. And then I did a little research and found that the people in the Loire blend those two grapes together. A, a, Fair amount, so I said, "Well, okay, it's great minds uh, work in the same direction, and uh, we ran with it." Oh, that's right, because it was Philip the Bold, I think, uh, the Duke of Burgundy, that said, "You can't
1: have these great, you can't have, well no, they couldn't have, they wanted to get rid of Pinot, and they wanted to get rid of Gamay Noir. They so wanted they, the Gamay out of Burgundy." Yes, and so they started growing it up there because they had summer palaces. Uh, really delicious, and the fact that you have a special name for it. Viola's red or Viola's rosé I mean. <laughs> yeah.
4: Well, Viola is the it's also is the, the genus for uh for pansy, so it's a little uh, homage to uh to the light pastel uh, flowers of uh, of spring that uh, we we harbor in here.
1: So very Monet. Uh pretty cool. And um you have a
4: second wine here which is actually the Gamay Noir. Yes, we've got a Gamay Noir red wine. And this is the first I've I've used the Gamay in my in my rosé for a number of years, but 2015 we had such a great year that I went ahead and took part of those grapes and did a red wine with it. And you know, it is a mouthful of fruit, the same um, violets and uh, raspberries and nice acidity. Um, the other night, we had some chipino, We uh, tasted that Gamay with it, and it was just an awesome combination. So it's a it's a wonderful food wine.
1: Well, you, you did great job managing tannin, because I think a lot of times when you're drinking Beaujolais, you get the Cru Beaujolais, one of the, those uh, is Morgan or Fleury, but you get the ripeness of fruit, and sometimes you get some more tannin with those wines, because it's just that style, and the region is. How old are the vines here for Gamay Noir? These, came, these vines
4: are about seven years old. Wow.
1: Um, and I like the fact they're still youthful. Yes. But they show a lot of promise, and they actually have some of that uh, that Morgon or the Beaujolais character. You're not doing anything. You're not doing, a, um, what you call it, carbonic maceration, no. Nope. Yeah, so I'm not getting that grapey flavor. I'm getting real true uh, variety uh, of the, the flavors of the, the characteristics of Gamay Noir, which is more of that uh, slightly red, dark red, blue, purple fruit, um, although you do get some strawberry here. And it's it's a very light wine. I like that you paired it with Chiappino because... Seafood is a difficult pairing for red wines, and typically I would always say Nero d'Avila. Why? Because it's Sicilian, it's it's hot, but it doesn't have any tannin, and the tannin is always one that messes up with seafood. And this this tannin is so very delicate. 100% stainless steel?
4: Uh, actually, this goes into um, this goes into punchins, 500-liter punchins, and uh, we leave it on punchin 18 months. All it goes right. Through, it goes through ML naturally. You know, uh, Gammy Noir has a boatload of malic acid in it, so once that all converts over to lactic... You really get a nice creamy mouthfeel and uh, some nice depth of uh, flavor to the wine. It's um, it probably does not express the typicity that you would find in Beaujolais, but no, not uh, yet.
1: But it's you know again they've been doing it for 300 plus years. So well,
4: we're we're a different uh, we're a different chunk of weather, and uh, I think the wine stands on its own.
1: I, I agree, uh, and, and congratulations for for being bold and for all for doing it right. It tastes great. I think it's quite delicious. Uh, this big release party, you have two sessions. It's, it's uh, Sunday, February 25th. Correct. So anyone who's not going to Taste Washington, you go Saturday to Taste Washington, you come out Sunday and you head over to uh, Kirkland to try some oysters and some charcuterie, some cheeses, and five new releases, including the 2017 Viola Rosé and the 2015 Gamay Noir. That's right. And this is all going to take place at Guy Tierney's Ha <laughs> ha, I was uh-huh. thinking not yeah, French. Ha ha, senor, monsieur. All right, so Melody Lynn Vineyard and Tasting Room. Um, what's on the menu there? How, when's it open? How do you guys serve lunch, or are you got the? Uh, do you have the like the pints of Olympia for a buck fifteen?
3: No, but we will. Uh, the first seating sets at two thirty, and the second one starts at five. Um, we'll be providing the charcuterie, and Kevin's providing the oysters, uh, and of course we have the spot and some of the servers. Our charcuterie is coming from Glondon's and and uh, if you're familiar with it, a little Italian place on Main Street. Oh, very a, interesting. Yeah, very, very nice uh, product. And oh, stuff. you know, it's
1: funny. I'm thinking in my mind when I used to go skiing as Ski Acres, we'd drive into North Bend and go to that bakery and get you know food. Oh. And uh, now I just go to Cleland and get gas.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, not anymore.
2: Now I, you pick I it will up have to check it out. Which it's, end is it on? Is it rich. closer
3: to Safeway or is it... It's in the middle. It's in the yeah, like, and it's on the the freeway side, so I guess that would be the south side. All know? right. Yeah. Well,
1: uh, I bet it's good. And uh you know, th- it's what's so great about the region is A we've got cheeses, we've got charcuterie, yes. we've got the seafood, we've got the agriculture, we've got distilleries, we've got breweries, we got wine, we got coffee. Uh we probably just don't have any tea, although we got salt. I mean every, we've got so much here in this little neck of the woods it's no wonder everyone's moving here. Surprising. Yeah. Uh and it's worth the drive. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's Olympia maybe, right? <laughs> we were chatting about that. Uh let's talk about some price points. Uh your Viola Rosé, Kevin 2017 from Cedar Green Cellars is
4: uh 17.99. $17 uh, in the retail at the at uh, the winery.
1: All right, that's what I'm thinking. And the Gamay Noir, that's going to be ooh, I pitched. that's probably 32.
4: 25.
1: Nice. <laughs> yep. Nice. Uh, that's because it's those punchins. You weren't buying, uh,
4: not buy- buying as much oak, and yeah. uh, and it turns over a little bit quicker than the cabernet or the uh, or the or the merlot.
1: No, it's fun to see uh, screw cap, and you've you work cork for many of your like the Tuja, right. That was under cork for a long time, wasn't it? Correct. And uh, when did you start using screw cap?
4: Uh, I started using screw cap uh, when I got a bad batch of cork, and uh, but you know we've cleaned up the industry, and um, I still like my white wines under cork, and the I mean my white wines under screw cap, the rosé I like under screw cap, and I think the um, the gamay noir lends itself to that. Um, Freshness. That same kind of that freshness, the tin liner, and it keeps it keeps it nice and tight. And then I've actually moved the thuya into the uh, into this into the screw cap also, mm. and it's just the merlot and the cabernet that I do under cork now.
1: Isn't it interesting for both of us, uh, all three of us, to be in the industry to see how screw cap was much maligned? Now it's just it's easy access and no one thinks about it. And I always thought it would take somebody like. Mm, a big, a big name that had a high quality level that said, "Hey, we're doing it. It's okay." Yeah, but it was really the smaller producers who started doing it, and then it's just become ubiquitous. Even with the cats over all the imports we get now from New Zealand and mm-hmm. and, and right. uh, Provence, right. um, very accessible. I Marvel. always say, like, because you can sneak a glass and. <laughs>
3: No,
4: pop, no, shoot, hey, who's well, that? They, they love it at the the bartenders love it too. So yeah, they do. when they're whacking and cracking them, they can really, they can really move some wine. And
3: for off premise sales too, for the boat traffic in downtown Kirkland, it's actually a great it's a great feature to have screw caps. Wow, mm-hmm.
4: I wonder if you could have like one
1: of those little little uh, rope pulleys. <laughs> <laughs> little uh, what do you call it? Clothesline pins. Little
3: they put great in I, order. It's a great idea. Vino zipline. Right? Vino yeah. zip line.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, Have Have you thought about doing anything else outside of an alternative?
4: packaging just for fun. You know, I have considered the um the biopacks or the the wax lined uh, you know like milk container right. type things. I think that's not a that's not a bad way to go. Um but I like about I like the serving size of a bottle and I like the uh, oh. the control I have over it and um you know, like I said, I could I could consider the the wax lined container, but I don't want to go into uh tin or I don't want to go into cans or right. um, or the bags or any of those kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, there's
1: just something about the can. The can of wine just does not elevate its um, perception at all for me. Unless, uh, of course, you know, it's blazing hot and it's still cold in my backpack, but I don't hike anymore anyway, so. Guy, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. uh, you've got 30 by the glass selections, correct? Correct. About that. And uh, what do they range from? Are you just northwest, or does uh, uh, Melody Lynn appreciate uh, other places?
3: Oh, no. All all Washington. All Washington wines. And uh, a lot of it is fruit that we grew, and we sold to people like Kevin, and we brought it back in. So uh, not all of it, you can't grow it all. You know, we don't grow Petit Syrah, we don't grow Gamay. Well, At least not saying yet.
1: that you only had four varieties, yeah. <laughs> there's like 53 now, I think, in the state ah, of Washington growing, right. so you're just under 10%. Um, but I got the good ones. Yeah, and yeah, you, yeah, you have not, great stemware, you mentioned Riedel. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, uh huh. And what kind best of best menus real. do you do you serve there? Lunch or dinner? Oh, wait. Hold on. Hold that thought. Because I'm getting hungry. This is ah. Saturday night, and I've got a little wine in me, a little Orkney Island in me. Uh, speaking with Guy Tierney of the Melody Lynn Vineyard and Tasting Room and Kevin Cedar Green of Cedar Green Cellars, who's having a big party February 25th. Hey, we'll have one more segment, so stick around right here on 570 KVI.
0: Do for politics what Edison did with the light bulb. Kirby and Carlson, weekdays 8 to 10 a.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. KVI want to know weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan.
1: All right, welcome back to our fourth and final segment. And I've got Guy Tierney with the Melody Lynn Vineyard and Tasting Room and Kevin Cedar Green of Cedar Green Cellars. Uh, He's got a big party coming up on February 25th. So, uh, how does someone get tickets to this huge five wine
4: release party with oysters, charcuterie, cheeses, and live music? Well, what we're doing is you uh, contact info at cedargreensellars.com. and RSVP, and we will hold a spot for you at the event. Or you can call 425 827 7244. Operators
1: are uh, standing by right They <laughs> are right there
4: right now, and we'll, we'll hold you a spot. The uh, occupancy is only around 49 people, so that's why we broke it into two sessions. So oh. there's, uh, there's room for everybody, and uh, everybody can get, their, get a good shot at the oysters. All right, so a ticket costs? Uh, it's $20 to admit, and then if you join the wine club at this at this event, you can roll that 20 straight into your first wine club shipment.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Great. And so you get samplings and oysters and circuitry, and it's a walk-around deal, or do you sit down? Do you have to go, like, go... Uh, you know, sometimes I'm disturbed that everyone's gonna, like, oh, let's go find our table. We're not going to move here. This is... But, I mean, that's okay.
4: Yeah, you've got to... Gotta, there's got to be a couple to, uh, pouring stations, right. one for the white, one for the red. And then we'll have a nice bar set up with the uh, with the shucker on it, and you can go pick up your oysters there. Learn how to shuck uh, shuck oysters.
1: They taught me just two weeks ago. Um, I learned because go figure. I was incomplete. I could hunt gooey duck, hunt <laughs> hunt gooey duck, cockles, mussels, oysters, but I could never shuck an oyster. We're like get the screwdriver out. No, that's that's a v- YouTube video. No <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> problem. All right, so guy, um, you're open six days a week, so you're closed
3: on Monday. Correct. Yeah. Three yeah. thirty mm-hmm. uh-huh, uh-huh. to eight thirty. Um, Monday through Saturday. 3.30 to 8.30. I know, right? It tends to last longer. You can't kick people out all the time. so a okay. of, there's a lot of stragglers that hang around about 10, I see. And yeah. so
1: where are you in downtown
3: Kirkland? We are right on the corner, essentially, of Kirkland Avenue and Lake Street, 106 Kirkland Avenue. We're about a block off the water, and uh, pretty much in the downtown, most downtown location you could be.
1: Alright, so yeah. fun. So uh, it's Sunday, February 25th, 2.30 to 4.30 or 5 to 7. You can taste five wines, have some oysters, learn how to shuck, and then have some charcuterie and cheeses, and enjoy uh, classic hits from the, the, the uh, banks of the Seine. That's it, <laughs> that accordion
4: music. We'll get you a paper beret to wear. Uh,
1: so fun. Well, gentlemen, uh, such a pleasure to meet you, Guy. And Kevin, welcome back. For sure. uh, thanks for joining me and Happy Hour Radio. Thank you,
3: Christopher. Thank you, Christopher. All
1: right. Hey, uh, folks, I'm digging that uh, that pink, and that's good because to see people make quality rosé uh, makes me happy because I love rosé. And I want all the money to stay in Washington because if you buy the French stuff, which you can, and it's good, but that money heads out the door so to some degree, even though it's so cheap. I don't know how they do it. It just drives me nuts. Uh, but, hey, folks, uh, tomorrow uh, there's a little party in my neighborhood. So I know it's, for some reason it's oyster time, which is good because uh, February has an R in it wait no with yes of course that's why <laughs> it's the june and a uh june and july and august uh, they should uh, in may may june july august you should uh, uh anyway uh sunday tomorrow uh down at the west seattle brewery which is just below my uh, deluxe mansion compound on the top of west seattle admiral uh check this out so you've got uh, a oyster tasting you've got some beer tasting and tickets are 35 bucks which is cool uh, thirty-five bucks for West Seattle, or twenty bucks down in uh, February twenty-fifth. You get oysters and charcuterie and cheeses and wine. Um, and anyway, accordions and accordions. Yeah. So <laughs> it's the Alki Oyster Festival. <laughs> yeah. You, <laughs> next year, Alki Oyster Festival's got three bands, and it's the West Seattle Brewing Company. Um, check it out at uh, westseattlebrewing.com. dot com. Uh, also coming up is uh, the Taste Washington event, and that's next month. And it's coming up late in uh, it's February twenty-second, third, and fourth and 5th. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, Of course, you'll find 200 wineries and uh, a host of restaurants producing, hopefully producing, great food. I know that... uh this is the year 26, I think, 26th anniversary of Taste Washington. It's always a fun time uh, because you can park, you can take an Uber, and it's, it's just down at Central Link Field. It's a great walk around tasting. There's two days of fun and excitement, and uh, I recommend uh, you go check it out. There's lots of, um, lots of cool classes and uh, chef cooking demonstrations, too, but uh, I skipped one. Seattle Food and Wine Experience coming up on February 24th. That's what I was thinking about it. So that was great because it's only on Saturday. So you can go to February 24th at the Seattle... No, at Bell Harbor, which I will be to the Grand Tasting... Uh, because, gosh, my New Year's resolutions have gone out the door. <laughs> I make ones that I can really stick to: drinking better, eating more, or eating well, something like that. But the Seattle Food and Wine Experience, Seattle Wine and Food Experience, is the February 24th, and then of course we have Kevin, uh, Kevin Cedargreen, hosting the uh, North, uh, the Northwest Grand Release Party with oysters and accordions, and over at Guy Tierney's place. Um, I just picked up my new SIP magazine, SIP Northwest. Uh, check it out. You'll find that there's this huge symposium coming to Seattle. It's called Summit. it's uh in august and then we've got the gold medal experience in june and so much fun uh if you haven't got sip northwest magazine it's a really hot magazine i really like it the photography's great the articles are great and uh it, it just looks good on your countertop or wherever you'd like to read i guess uh, uh i want to thank my friend uh my new friend martin mark vardson who uh, is the real viking i gotta meet this cat it'll be fun to take a picture never had a real viking um Although uh, Highland Park rocks, Cedar Green Cellars rocks, and we'll find out about Melody, Lynn, Bistro, wait, not Bistro, Tasting Room and Vineyard. Hey, folks, hope you enjoy the show. See you next week right here, uh, 5-7 KVI, life's always better with a designated driver.
2: Bye.